0: Hi, my name is Jonathan. I am one of the pastors here at Heights, and we're so glad that you found us online. You know, at Heights, it is our desire to love and lead all people to a new life with Christ. And one of the ways that we strive to do that is by posting weekly content at all of the places, on Facebook and on YouTube, on Instagram. We even have our own website where we're constantly posting things as well. If you're checking us out for the first time, you can go to heightschurch.org connect and let us know that you found us. And once again, we're so glad that you're here. Have a Bible with you uh, to turn that on to open that up to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is where we are going to be. Uh, if you are new with us, let me kind of catch you up. We have been moving uh, line by line through the letter that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. We started it last year. We went all the way up to chapter 10. We took a little bit of break, and now we're back here uh, in chapter 11. So we're starting out a new series called Order uh, Out of Chaos. And so what we want to uh, say is that God always presents a better way uh, in a chaos chaotic world. And so when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 this morning, this is going to be honestly a passage of scripture that you're going to read and we're going to move through this and at some point you're going to go, what in the world is Paul talking about? And there are a lot of times when we can come to the Bible, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, we can read a passage and we can automatically dismiss it by saying, "Well, that's that culture of that day, that's that time period of then. That was all the way over on the other side of the world. Uh, That was over 2,000 some years ago, or even longer, depending on the section of scripture you're reading. There's no way that has a meaning for me today, sitting here, uh, you know, in Heights Baptist Church on June, you know, in, in." the year 2022. The problem with that is this, is I affirm that the Word of God is God's Word. Amen? Amen. And the Bible says that it is living, that it is active. So the Word of God is not dead. And so even though we have to sometimes make cultural applications that are a little bit different, we can walk away from a passage like this and say it has meaning for us as Paul was writing it for a reason to the church in Corinth. He's writing it to you today for a reason. He's writing it to me for a reason, because we can also look at Bible times sometimes and think, well, well, again, that's such a different culture, that that culture is nowhere like the Western American culture of now. But actually, a lot of times, when you dig into the cultural issues of their day, there are a lot of the same cultural issues uh, that we battle and face right now as believers in Jesus Christ. For instance, in Corinth, uh, the divorce rate was through the roof. There were a lot of married couples that had uh, marital issues. Uh, Homosexuality was running rampant uh, within this culture. You also had the issue of gender switching within this culture. And so Paul is now addressing in chapters 11 through 14, issues not only within the culture, but issues within the church. Because what was happening was this very chaotic culture and all of this division in the culture and chaos was now starting to seep in within the church. And Paul's gonna take up these issues. He's gonna say, wait a minute. There's actually order that can be found in a very chaotic world, and this order is God's order. And when we live out that order, we start showing the world a better alternative than chaos. And so this morning, if I had to sum up this message in just kind of one or two little sentences for you, something maybe to take home that, that you need to just kind of think about through the week, uh, this is what I would say, and I'm going to have it on the screen for you so you can uh, maybe take a screenshot of it, uh, or you can write it down. Let me give it to you. It's this, when men and women live out the roles that God has given us, we show the lost culture a picture of of the saving work of Jesus Christ. So I'm gonna say that again in case you're writing it down. When men and women live out the roles that God has given us, we show the lost culture a picture of the saving work Of Jesus Christ. And so that's what I want you to get this morning, just kind of in your mind that you think about through the week. And you can take a screenshot of it there if you want to or write it down quickly. So when you and I start living out those roles that God has given us, we show a chaotic, divided world a better way. We show them a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us, His saving work. On the cross. So this morning, I'm going to give you four actions in order to live out those roles that God has given us as men and women so that we may show the world a better picture of the saving work of Christ. The first one is this uh, we want to have a faith that's worth following. I okay, have a faith that's worth following. Let's pick up in verse 1, chapter 11. The apostle Paul writes this, "Be imitators of me as I am of Christ." Verse 2, he says, "Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you." But I want you to understand, he says in verse 3, that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So notice, in order to kind of show the world a picture of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and his work, we've got to live out the roles that God has given us as men and women. So the first thing is this, we need to have a faith worth following. Paul says right there in verse 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Your translation may say, you know, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus. Now you can automatically read verse 1 and go, man, that's pretty arrogant, (laughs) I mean, who's this Apostle Paul guy to go, hey, guys, you, you follow me like I follow Jesus. That, that's, that can be taken as a pretty arrogant statement. But understand who the Apostle Paul is, is he's often writing to this church. He's saying, listen, I'm, I'm weak. There's times I tremble when I have to do the Lord's work. Sometimes my faith isn't always what it's supposed to be. Uh, Paul even writes it this way to them. He says, If we all got in this, the room and we started talking about all of our problems and all of our sins, I would raise my hand and say, I'm the chief sinner among all of you. I used to persecute Christians, I used to lock them up and, and okay them being murdered. Like, that's who I am, that's who Paul was before Christ saved him. And now Paul's saying, follow me like I follow Jesus. And so the question you need to ask is this, as a husband, is your faith worth following? Is you as a husband, is, is your faith worth following? Would, is your faith worth following by your wife? As a wife, is your faith worth following? Is, is in your home, do you have such a faith that your kids are able to follow that. Your teenagers are able to follow that. Others are able to follow that. As you just say, hey, here's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I have this faith that's worth following. Now, Paul writes in verse two, as he starts transitioning into the issue that he is going to bring up this morning, he says this, now I commend you because you remember everything and maintain the traditions, even as I deliver them to you. Now, that's something that's unusual in this letter that Paul is saying, hey guys, I want to just say good job on something right? He doesn't usually use that phrase, I commend you, because next week when you're back, we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper, where they're fighting over positions at the table, and you know, this big food fight breaks out at the Lord's Supper, and he's going to go, hey, hey, hey guys, I don't commend you on this, right? So this week, he's like, hey, thumbs up, I commend you. Next week, it's going to be like, thumbs down, we got some issues to talk about, right? He says, you know, you, you guys are doing okay. You're, you're keeping some of the traditions, you're keeping some of the teachings that I have I've taught you, And then he gives us in verse 3 this principle. and this principle, we have to dig into a little bit that you have to understand in order to unlock the application throughout the rest of the text, all right? So this principle is really, really key. Verse 3, he says, I want you to understand, okay? So he says, when I says, I want you to understand, I'm giving you some new teaching, so pay attention, listen up. I want you to understand the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now remember what we said, we want to learn to live out the roles that God has given us as men and women in order to show the lost culture a saving picture of the work of Jesus Christ. So we have to have a faith we're following, all right, and that means we have to understand these roles. Now when we come to verse 3, there's a lot to kind of start unpacking, so let's do that. First, I use the English Standard Version. So I use the ESV translation. So notice in my ESV translation, he says, I want you to understand the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. If you're using a King James, an N-I-B, an N-A-S-B, you're not going to see the word husband and wife in there like my translation has. And here's why. You've probably got a little footnote uh, in your Bible like I do that says really that Greek word for husband, wife, man, woman, it's interchangeable, right? So it can be used either way. So Paul in this is he's using husband, wife, man, woman interchangeably throughout the text, So what he's pointing you to in this principle is essentially these roles that we're talking about are the roles in a home between husband and wife, the roles in a church between men and women. So notice in the text, verse three, this principle, again, we've got to understand there's some three people under authority. Man is under the authority of Christ, the woman or the wife under the authority of her husband, and Christ is under the authority of God. All right, because that word head is key there, right? Because head in verse three in the Greek, it's going to mean that authority, all right? So think about like the authority, the head of a school, you know, the, the head of an organization. Right, so that's the person who has authority. Now through the text, as we're going to get into it in a minute, Paul's talking about head in one way, he's saying authority, and then ladies and men, he's going to start talking about what's on our head, All right. So he's going to use that term head differently through the text. And then as you're reading it, you're going to be able to figure out if he's talking authority or what's really on my head. All Right. But here in verse three, he's talking about authority. Who is over you? Who is the authority uh, in your life? Now, I know once we start talking about headship issues, within the home, and within the church, you automatically get some pushback, because some of you are looking at me with that tone of voice already, so clock it. I'm only 15 minutes in, not even in the sermon. I'm already getting that look, all right? I understand, but we're going to plug through this together, because that's what we do here. We do the hard things. We don't skip the hard stuff and just always do the easy things. Here's what we need to discuss when we talk about roles of men and women, within the home and within the church. In no way, shape, or form, ladies, does this mean that you are less of a person. In no way, shape, or form does this mean women are inferior to men. When we talk about men being leads in the home and within the church, that is not a put-down, ladies, of you. We affirm, and I affirm very strongly what Genesis 1 teaches us, that man and woman are both created in the image of God that men and women are created equal in God's eyes. God loves men just as much as he loves women. Christ Jesus came to die on the cross for women just as he did for men. So this is not talking, ladies, about you being your husband's servant. You are not your husband's personal chef. You are not her housekeeper. You know, you are not any of that. What we're seeing here though, and what Paul's beginning to unpack in this principle, is there is an order in creation. And when that order has certain roles, and when those roles are lived out, now you're starting to show people what Christ looks like when he died on the cross for us. Because again in verse 3, notice, there's three people under authority. The man, is under the authority of Christ, the wife under the authority of her husband, or woman or man in the church. Christ is under the authority of God. None of us would say as good biblical scholars that Christ is of less worth than God. What do we see in the Bible? Within the Trinity, you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all the same essence. They're all God. They're all of worth. They're all of value. One is not less than the other, but they have different functioning roles. God the Father has a different functioning role as God the Son, as Christ. So here's the principle that we want to get. Men are to lead in the homes and in the church. Women are to come under the leadership of that and support one another. That's the type of faith that Paul is saying we have to have that's worth following. So that's our first action. Have the faith worth following. Second action is this. We need to love one another, all right, We need to love one, or excuse me, second action is this. Live out the role God's given you, all right? Live out the role that God's given you. Let's pick up in verse four. If every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as her head were shaven, all right? Pick up in verse six for if a wife will not cover her head then she should cut not or she should cut her hair short but since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair or shave her head let her uh, let her cover her head verse 7 for a man ought to not cover his head since he is the image and the glory of god but woman is the glory of man so we see in verses 4 through 7 where to live out these roles that God has given us. Now remember, verse 3 is a principle, all right? In verse 3, that principle does not change, all right? That's a universal principle that stands the test of time. These are the roles that God has given us. Men lead in the homes, men lead in the church, ladies line up under that leadership and help and support. Verses 4 through 7, we start living out those roles. Now notice this is an application, all right? So Paul is applying the principle of verse 3, He's applying that principle to a local church in Corinth in that time period. Because verses 4 through 7 are super clear, aren't they? Right? I mean, you're just reading that and you're like, man, I don't know why I need leave this morning. Let's just go home. I got that text right off the bat. Yeah. I mean, verses four through seven in our context is a little weird, right? Because he's talking about, do we wear hats in church? Do we not wear hats? What Should we shave our heads? Should we not shave our heads? Who's got their head covered? Who doesn't have their head covered? But Paul, again, is making a local custom application in that culture, but it still has some meaning for us. So he's saying this, men, when you are praying or prophesying, so praying is praying to God, prophesying is talking to people about God. So men, when you do that, don't have anything on your head. Ladies, when you are praying and prophesying, have something on your head. Don't let your head be uncovered. Now, what is the covering? All right. Because he's saying, ladies, you need something on your head when you're praying and prophesying. So what's the head covering that goes on your head, ladies? So in this time, in this culture, you've got three options to choose from. Right? First option would be this, uh, probably some type of veil. Now don't think like an Islamic Muslim veil, but a, a veil or a shawl. Uh, it could be, ladies, something on the top of your head, you know, like a little, little hat, little doily that you might wear. Or the third option, this is where I kind of lean that it probably was, and ladies, you may want to lean with me on this as well. If you've got to pick one of the three, it's more than likely this. Ladies, it's having your hair done, having your hair fixed, I maybe mean, having your hair up in a bun. Right? Here's why, ladies, you would want to pick option three, quite honestly. Now you have a great argument every week before you come to church to go to the hair salon, <laughs> right? I mean, ladies, I, I don't know why you would pick something on your head. I don't know why you picked the shawl. I'd be like, hey, I'm picking the beauty salon every week, right? I mean, I go get my hair done all the time. You just lean over to your husband and be like, see, Bible, I go get my hair done, right? don't argue with me, argue with Paul. He's saying, I got to fix my hair up. (laughs) Why was that important? Again, culturally there. Well, for instance, men, he's showing we need to distinguish ourselves between men and women, right? So he's saying, men, when you pray and prophesy, nothing on your head. Ladies, when you pray and prophesy, something on your head. Right? So you want to show the distinction in the roles. You want to show the distinction between men and women. That's part of what the head covering means. But ladies, here's why this was important, because often uh, the ladies who were called in adultery, they had their heads shaven as a punishment. Okay? So Paul saying, "Ladies, no, no, don't shave your head. Right? Ladies, there was 29 different temples around Corinth to 29 different pagan gods. The temple prostitutes often wear their hair long, very unkept, not done, not combed, not put up in a bun. So the Apostle Paul is saying these are the roles that God has given us men and women. So we want to show the distinction when we gather from the culture and of men and women. We want to be clear of who we are and the roles in which we have. We want to live out those roles because when we live out those roles as men and women in our homes and within the church, we show a a picture of the saving work of Jesus. Now, in order to live those roles out, we need to love one another. We need to love one another. We need to love each other. So let's pick up in verse 7. If you thought it was weird, it just gets better. All right? Verse seven, for man ought to not cover his head since he is the image and the glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Verse eight, for man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was a man created for woman, but woman for man. Verse 10, this is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now I'm gonna stop you right there. You're gonna ask me, what does that mean? And I'm going to tell you, I have no idea. All right. I have studied this passage for two weeks, read untold amount of commentaries, and no one agrees on the angels. All right. So I hate to tell you, I'm going to leave you guessing on the angels, but I got nothing on the angels. All right. That's a question you can ask the apostle Paul when we are eating Chick-fil-A in heaven. What did you mean about the angels? And who wrote Hebrews? I mean, can you please tell us what happened there? All right? But verse 11, I want you to circle this one because this one is important. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man nor man of woman. So let's let's kind of review where we've been. Verse 3 is the principle defined. Verse 3 doesn't change. Verse 3, that principle, man, woman, husband, wife, Clear leadership roles, church, home. We live out those roles. We show the lost culture, a very chaotic, confused culture, a saving picture of the work of Jesus Christ. We want to live those roles out in our homes, in our our marriages, and and within the church. That's verses 4 through 7. We learn how to show that distinction between us. Now he's defending the principle. So these verses here are key because it's the defense of that principle of verse 3. Because again, when you start talking about gender roles, talk about how homes operate, churches operate, you start getting pushback from people who go, wait a minute, that's a cultural thing Paul's writing, that the Bible's outdated. That's not the way it works in Western American culture. That was for that time period. That was, that was for then. That's not for now. And so people will say, hey, let's just dismiss all of this because again, that that was way back then. We've evolved in our thinking. We've evolved together now, and that doesn't apply. But I want you to notice what the apostle Paul did. He rooted his defense in creation. He's not rooting the defense in culture. He made you a cultural application with the head thing. But now he's saying, here's how verse 3 still matters, because verse 3 still matters, because what you see is rooted within creation. So number one, we affirm that the Bible says that we are both created in God's image, that we are both made in the image of God. Man was created first, then woman, Adam, then Eve. Right? Again, as we're talking about creation, we're starting to understand our roles and our distinctiveness as men and women. We have to remember this is a culture that is very confused and they're practicing the gender switching issue, right? We see gender switching here, that's why Paul's addressing part of this. We see gender switching within our culture now. This is becoming something that's becoming more and more and more popular. So parents in the room You're going to need to learn how to deal with this issue and how to educate your young people in this because this is closer to your home than what you think. This is not going to be something that's just going to magically go away. So you're not going to bury your head in the sand and just say, I hope it gets better. As men and women of Scripture, we have to learn to equip the next generation how to think biblically through these cultural issues with grace and firmness and love. So when we think about creation, God clearly created man, and God clearly created a woman. So when you are born as a man or a woman, that is your assigned gender. For a person who is gender switching, they're battling it, or they have done it, essentially the root sin of their life is not so much the switch. The root sin and the root issue is a rejection of God and his creation. That person is essentially saying, God, you made me a mistake creating me a man because I feel like I'm a woman. So therefore, I'm going to become a woman because now I feel like a woman. So instead of the conversation going with the person, hey, you need to quit it, that's wrong. What you and I need to be able to do is to bring that person close and to first and foremost say this, you are still valuable in God's eyes. God made you. God loves you. God sent Christ to die for you. We need to treat that person with dignity and worth because they are a human being. But the struggle within their heart at that moment is they've rejected God. They're confused on whom God has made them. So you and I have to have those conversations in love and in grace, with kindness and firmness rooted in scripture to say, there is a better way than you following the God of your feelings. Because listen, men and women, whether it is a gender switching issue, whether it's another sin issue in your life, that you say, I'm going to reject scripture based on my feelings. Your feelings are a terrible God. My feelings are a terrible God. You know why your feelings are terrible? Because they're always going to say, feed me. They're not going to serve you. They're not going to sacrifice for you. You are constantly going to have to bow at the knee of your feelings. But when you line up with scripture, you see it is Christ Jesus who says, the truth shall set you free. And it's that freedom in Christ that we now learn to be the created assigned gender that we have been given. It is now that freedom in Christ that we break away from the chains of feelings and we can live rooted, settled in Scripture. So men and women, don't bow the knee to the God of feelings. Come back into the created order That God has made you as a woman, as a man, and live out that identity rooted in Christ. Amen? Amen? So, here, Paul is taking us back to creation to defend verse three, to say that there are roles in which we play as men and women in our homes and within our church. And he shows you within those verses how the created order happened. Verse 8, man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Verse 9, neither was man created from woman, but woman from man. Now I want you to jump back up to verse 7. And he says, for man not to to cover his head, because again, we want to be distinct in who we are, since he's made in the image of the glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Let me help you think through verse 7, because ladies, I know you can probably hear that and say, whoa, 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 hang on. I'm the glory of my husband? Does Paul not know my husband? (laughs) But think again back in creation how this worked. God created Adam. And when God created Adam, he commissioned Adam. He said, Adam, I want you to rule and subdue creation. You're in charge of creation. Adam, that's your role. Then I want you to be fruitful, and I want you to multiply, Adam. I want you to fill the earth with other human beings. Adam, that's your role right? Problem. Adam can't do that alone, right? So God said, wait, hang on. I need to make you a helper because it's not good for a man to be alone. So I'm going to create Eve. He creates Eve. Now, what does he tell Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve, I want you to rule and subdue creation. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. All right, Eve, you are now the helper of Adam. You are to help your husband. Again, this is where the ladies in the room are like, "Uh uh-huh, my husband needs a lot of help, right? Okay. (laughs) But notice that togetherness is rooted in a commission given by God. Go make babies and fill the earth with other humans. And as you're filling the earth with other humans, make them little worshipers of me. This is why we would jump in the New Testament and say our role as parents is making disciples of Jesus Christ. So as parents, as we're raising our kids, we're making them little disciples of Jesus. Guess what? Man can't do that just alone. Woman can't do that just alone. We need each other. That's why Paul says in verse 11, nevertheless in the Lord, woman is not independent of man and man is not independent of woman. We need each other in this roles, in this commission that God has given us in our homes and in our churches. And ladies, you're the glory of that. Let that sink in for a minute. You're the glory of that. You know, when we are in Pennsylvania. I know we don't have them a lot here in Texas, but we used to have a lot of apple orchards <clears throat> and we would go in the fall and we would pick apples. And it was one of the things we, we like to do as a family, you get your big empty bushel and you start filling them with all these apples that you pick on the tree, off the tree. And, you know, so as Sandra is uh, doing what we do as families is you go out and you do a family activity, and you take a picture, right? And you, you're getting pictures in front of the tree, in front of the apples, you get a family. But sometimes she would zoom in on this nice red apple on the tree. Yeah, it's just this beautiful, juicy apple just hanging there. She'd take a picture of just that apple. You know what I never witnessed my wife doing all, all the times that we went out apple picking? She never got down on one knee and zoomed in on the trunk. You know why? Because the glory of the apple tree is not the trunk. It's the apple. It's the apple of the tree. But here's the thing, in order to have apples, you need a tree. In order for there to be a tree, then you can have apples, right? No tree, no apples. No apples, no tree. They need each other, right? And the glory of the tree is the apple. But when the tree acts like the tree and the apple acts like the apple, oh, there's glory produced, And that's what the apostle Paul's getting at, that when we live out the principle of verse three, we live out the roles as men and women in our homes and within our churches, we show a picture of the saving work of Jesus to a confused, lost, chaotic culture. But let me give you not only the the fourth action. So we are to have a faith worth following. We're to live out these roles. We're to love one another, but we work toward unity in this. We work toward unity in this. Verse 13, Paul says, judge for yourself. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? All right, he says, you've got to make this decision. Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given for a covering. For if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Again, Paul is applying this principle and he's using the natural order of creation to apply the principle of verse three, that again, we have roles as men and women to live out into our homes, live out in our church to show the lost world, a picture of the saving work of Jesus. And he is using that application again, rooted in that culture in Corinth. And he begins the fun discussion of hair length. All right. All right saying men don't have long hair, women don't have short hair. Why is he using the natural order of this? Because we know naturally women's hair grows longer than men's hair. But this has a cultural application that he is bringing back to Corinth. He is saying again, show there is distinctiveness between you men and between you women. See, in this culture, men who were homosexuals or men who had gender switched wore long hair. So Paul's saying again, men, you want to dress and look like a man. You don't want to look like someone in the, in the culture that is homosexual. Ladies, again, who are caught in adultery, they had their hair shaven. So ladies, don't cut your hair so short you get confused in the culture of who you are. Show that distinctiveness. Right? Now, I know some of you are going to go, well, should I have long hair now? Should I have short hair now? Right? Because you will have sometimes, I think wrongly, some pastors taking this text and applying it to today in this way. Jesus would have had short hair, right? No, we don't know if Jesus would have had short, short hair, just like we don't really know what Jesus looked like. So the picture of Jesus in your home, hey, newsflash, probably really wasn't what Jesus looked like, okay? What do we do in our culture with this? We step back and we say, how do I apply this in a way where I am dressing appropriately culturally within the context where I am, to show my distinctiveness as a man and as a woman. So that's going to vary. So for instance, if you go over to Israel right now and you go to a Jewish holy site and you're a man and you go visit a Jewish holy site in Israel, there's going to be times you're going to be required to have something on the top of your head. And the reason being is that's a sign of respect at that Jewish holy site. But then you can go to a Christian holy site, still same town, the bus, you know, drove you over to that after lunch, and you're going to walk up, and you're going to have some on your head, and they're going to go, no, 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 you need to take that off, because it's a sign of respect at the Christian holy site not to have something on your head. So what Paul's getting at is this, as men and women, the point is, dress appropriately within the context you are in, so you may identify as a man or as a woman. But he wraps up with this, and I want you to get this part. He wraps up not so much with what's on your head, but the attitude of what's in your heart. Because he says in verse 16, if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, new, nor do the churches of God. Paul's saying we work toward unity in this. We're not contentious in this. We're working together as men and women to fulfill the roles that God has given us in our homes and our churches to show the lost culture a saving picture of Jesus Christ. So let me lean into your home for a minute and meddle. Husbands, how are you loving your wives well? See, you are instructed husbands as I am in Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Mark 10.45, Jesus said, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, husbands, as leaders in your home, hear me and hear me really well. You are to be the lead servant in your home. You are to be the lead sacrificer in your home as Jesus sacrificed for us, as Jesus served us. So, that means this men, your wife is not your doormat. She is not your personal chef. She is not your housekeeper. Your wife is the one that God has entrusted to you that you serve, you honor, you sacrifice for in order to help her become the best follower of Jesus Christ that she can be. Husbands, if you are leading in any other way, treating her as a doormat, treating her as your personal chef, if you are physically or verbally abusing her in any way, husbands, you are showing at that point the gospel of Jesus Christ has not touched and conformed your heart. And you need to repent. And you need to get right with the Lord, husbands, because you are the lead to show the picture of what it means to be a follower of Christ. You ought to, husbands, walk away from this message, not walking proud, saying, I'm the leader. Because if you ever have to tell your wife to submit and lead, you are doing it wrong. You husbands walk away from this message saying, Lord, break my heart for my wife, and what do I need to do to help her follow Jesus better today than she did yesterday wives let me meddle for a moment and i will be kinder to you than i was to the husbands because i'm afraid more of some of the ladies in the room than the men i can be honest wives what god has called you to do is line up under the leadership of your husbands Ephesians five twenty two: wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. We see that picture of submission again. Ladies, living that out, showing how Christ Jesus submitted to the plan of God the Father in salvation. And ladies, I know that's hard to hear because you're thinking, wait a minute, Jesus got to submit to God the Father and I got this guy, right? But ladies, let me tell you how beautiful that picture is for you when you line up under the leadership of your husband, when you line up under the leadership in a church, ladies, you are showing what Christ Jesus did by submitting to the plan of salvation that God the Father put before God the Son. Because without the submission of the Son, there is no salvation for the sinner. Without the submission of Jesus, there's no hope for any of us. And so, ladies, I know that is hard. I know that's hard to hear. I know that's hard to process. But what a beautiful picture, ladies, that you paint for a lost, dying culture who's looking for a better way to say, here's the role that God has given me, and let me point you to an even better Savior than I could ever be. And his name is Jesus. Because without that submission of Christ, there's no salvation for any of us. This morning, I know this is a difficult text to plug through. Thanks for hanging in there with me. But here's what I want to do. I don't want to walk away from this message and all you think about is what should be on your head or not be on your head. I want you to walk away from this message to say, what's going on in my heart? Because that's where God's looking. What's going on in your heart today? What does God see in you today? Is God seeing you hiding a sin? Does God see you as a husband loving his wife well? Does God see you as a wife loving your husband well, helping him be the best follower of Jesus that he can be? Does God see you as a person causing division within a church? Does God see you today as his son or his daughter? Because the only way that God will see you as his son or his daughter is if you submit your life to him and say, I need Jesus as my savior. I'm ready to lay down the the, the God of me and the God of my feelings. I'm done with that God. I want a God that's going to set me free. I want a God that's going to forgive me. I want a God that's going to change my life. And this morning, that person is Jesus. So what is in your heart, husbands? What is in your heart, wives? What is in your heart, church members? Because you and I have the challenge today to live out the God-given roles that he has given us. So as we live that out, we are showing a lost culture, a picture of the saving work of Jesus Christ.